Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Glory Church, right here I want to start the sermon. Let me just paint this scene for you. We're going to get into the temple, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, which I don't know if you are familiar with the Old Testament. It's okay if you're not. But I just want to paint for you. Some of you can close your eyes to see this. I just want to paint for you this image of a fence line. Think of it like a rectangle. And there's a gate. And you see this large, this large circle. And then right on front of it, closest thing to the entrance is this huge square, fire burning, smoke is going up. Behind it is a tent. For those of you who are visual people, imagine that tent, tall, beautiful. Scripture says it's immaculate colors. And right inside of that tent, no normal eye could see, but only those who are in the priesthood, the Levites. It was called the holy place. It had day and night, literally morning and evening, the priest were to bring to the altar some burning coals of incense. It would be like a sweet smell. I've told you this, it would literally be the in-between. On the outside of that tent, there was flesh burning from the sacrifices. But on the inside of the tent, it smelled sweet. It was fragrant. And only the priest could go in. First Peter chapter 2 I want to read this over you. We are in week three of this series, and I need just to let you know that this is a truth of you. If you are in Christ, Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for, there's a possession now, for God's own possession that you may now proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, you were lost. Some of you, you know what it's, it feels like. It feels like just yesterday you were isolated and lost, but once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. I think we can all feel the weight of our sin. It says, once we had not received mercy, but now we receive his mercy. We've received it. With all your eyes closed, I just want to invite you. If you are in Christ, can you just take a deep breath that you are a royal priest? You were once not a people, but now you are. You had not once received mercy, but now you have mercy. And I love this as we get into this. Um, Meg Bell, Meg and Josiah head up our prayer team. If you want to be on our prayer team, I'd love to have you. She was praying this morning and she felt the call. This is really beautiful. Are you ready? She felt the Lord was drawing us into his light to understand the power of his light and for it to honestly shine bright in the dark places in our hearts. Here's a calling of who you are. 
You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that now you can proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called you out of darkness and into something marvelous. He's out, he's called you out of darkness and into light. So Father, may in this place we see, may in this place we hear, God, the, the hearts that have been seeking, may they find you. The hearts that have been aching, may you give rest. The hearts that have been numb, may you heal so they can feel again. The hearts that have been praising, will you show your delight? That we can with one voice declare make known the excellencies, how great is the one who redeemed us. We love you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. You all can have a seat. You all can have a seat. It's so good to have you. Um, for those of you who have not been with us for a while, uh, we are in week three, like I said, those of you who've been tuning into the podcast, uh, hopefully you're, you're tracking along with us. Uh, we're in week three of a series called The Presence of God. Um, honestly, we're, we're tracking it with the Old Testament. So we got a little Old Testament history in there. Uh, just like a show of hands, how many of you like love history? Anyone? Uh, the, great, the seven of us. Cool. Uh, yeah, history. Uh, but the beautiful thing of this is everything done in the Old Testament has a purpose, and it is rich if we look at it. Now, we can get sometimes stuck in the, like, what-ness of it. Like, what? God, what? Uh, and I, I get it. That whatness is a word, okay? The whatness of the Old Testament can get us caught up. Or we could pause and say, okay, Jesus, if you fulfilled this, in what way? Like, if you have fulfilled this, then how is, it, how is it mighty in my life? How is it a part of this? And so we've been diving into this week by week. And if you have uh, not been with us in a session, like, I, I encourage you, check out that podcast. Uh, it's on our website. Uh, or, like, you can search Glory Podcast on the Apple Podcast, and you can find us. Um, but here we are in week three of it. And uh, I'm wanting to framework it today through a couple of realizations, all right? So I have some realizations for you that I feel like the Lord is, is shining on me. He's shining on our church. He's shining on our people, the priesthood, the holy nation, all of that. And as us modern day priests, uh, as we overlook, as we come into holy places, I think God's wanting to show us a couple things, okay? So if you're taking notes, this is literally two things that will be literally spoken over and over and over today. Sound good? I felt like he said this to me this week, my sons and daughters have labeled unattainable the things that they already have access to, all right? This is one thing that I just felt like he said through this message, through what we're diving into, through what a priest would experience, and now what you experience daily. I believe that he said, like, my daughters, they have labeled unattainable the things that they already have access to. My daughters have labeled unattainable the purity, the name, the identity, the hope, the peace, the freedom that they already have access to. My sons, 
whew, my sons have labeled unattainable or even a quote unquote not yet, or that's just not who I am, the strength that they have access to. Like my sons have labeled already unattainable the things that they actually can come into my presence and grab. Okay, so that's number one. Maybe you've labeled it impossible or you've labeled it distant, all right? So we're gonna tack that little, little lie. But number two, I felt like he also said, my sons and my daughters have labeled common the things that are holy. What I mean by that is we make um, mundane, we normalize the things that are actually extraordinary. And I feel like God is saying, okay, if you're a priest, if you're a holy nation, if you're redeemed, if you are brought from darkness into light, then there are things that are just extraordinary as Christ followers, right? You have in you the ability to say mountain move and it could move, right? Right? Yeah? No? That's okay. Never mind. We don't have that. We have in us the ability to do the extraordinary, but I felt like the Lord said, one, my sons and daughters have labeled unattainable the things they have access to, and they've labeled common the things that are actually holy. Some of you have labeled common your marriage, and God has said it's holy. It is set apart. It is mighty. It, it can declare my glory. Some of you have labeled common your jobs. You say, it's just normal. This is my day-to-day life. It's nothing magic. No, if your work is unto the Lord, then power can come. We've, lab- we've labeled common way too many things. I have another one. Some of you have labeled, uh, you've taken uh, for granted the purity of your hands. You, you've, you've labeled it common. Your gifts are common They're not. They're extraordinary in in the kingdom. And so I'm going to bring us into this. Now that we have that little framework, I'm going to take this screen off so you're not going to see it anymore, but I'm going to put on the tent, okay? The tent. So we're going to go back to those two things over and over and over, but I just, uh, those of you who are on the podcast don't get the tent. Uh, You should just feel sorry for all the people who are on the podcast who just only listen because they don't get to see this tent. But all of you get blessed with the tent. Now, you've seen this day in and day out, week in and week out. We showed you this. And we have tracked week by week further into the tent. And those of you are like, what is the tent? Okay, well, listen. God said, I want my people who have at this point been slaves to Egypt, um, have been taken for granted, have been beaten. Uh, My children, my daughters have been taken and and ransacked and raped, and my children have been uh, plummeted, destroyed. I'm calling them out, and I'm going to give them a home. But in order to do that, I also want to be with them, like very physically. I want to be with them. Now you're like, well, God's always with us. Yes, but he wanted to be close. See, that's the difference between uh, the God's lowercase g of this world, the God of the, the, the sky, the gods of the water, you know, that, that uh, we false gods. It's the difference between false gods and the one true God. The one true God longs to be present, and he is present. Every other God cannot be present with everyone because uh, they are, I mean, Jesus tells us they are demonic. They are not omnipresent. And so here we are. He said, I want to be present with you. So everywhere you go, set up this little system. Okay. Now it looks small, but it was huge. 
uh, I want you to have this square ring of the outer courtyard. And when, when you come into it, I want you to set up forever, every, this long lasting, set up that altar, the altar, day and night, burn animals. All right, come provide the, the meat and I will bring the fire. And we dove into that week one. All right. Uh, so if you're like, what? We dove into that week one. Okay. That Lord, the Lord says, you bring the sacrifice, you bring the life, and I will bring the fire. And now sometimes we feel like God is missing in something, and so we try to create the oomph. We try to create the joy, and you, you know, and I know, when I try to show up in a place and, and just overcompensate for what I feel like God isn't doing, it's a mess, right? Anyone else feel that way? It's just a mess. Strange fire is what it's called. That was week one. Then you see a little forward from that is this thing called the laver, a little blue circle. This is, was washing. And the priests were called, and only the Levites were the priests, Aaron and his sons at the time. There's four of them. So only five of them could do this. But they washed their hands and then would be able to enter in the holy place. And if you see this little tent, the actual tent uh, has two parts. There is this holy place, and then there's the holy of holies. Uh, Brian, my friend Brian, who, who got to t- teach with me on week one, he's tackling the holy of holies next week, week four. But we're in week three, all right? The holy place. And you see there's some three things in this, the holy place. Uh, there is uh, the shoe bread, and yes, that's the correct way to spell it. The ta- there's a table of bread. Uh, the table of bread, there would be enough for every uh, man, every uh, group, clan, we can call it, of Israel. There's 12 of them, if you know, the tribes. And so the priests would eat that during the thing. They would light a candle. You see the candles. Uh, it's beautiful, the menorah. And then you see this altar of incense. It looks really tiny, but it would stand at the entrance of the Holy of Holies. Now, this altar of incense, uh, Jesus or God gives very like strict guidelines. For those of you who want to read it later, you can. We're not going to open it up because it w- it's very detailed. But it's Exodus 30, ch- uh, verse 1 through 10. He dives into it and he literally says, you're going to make an altar that will constantly burn incense. And day and night, night and day. What, do we just sing that? Yes. Let, it, let incense arise. Let it fill the temple. Uh, is really what he wanted. Let it fill that holy place. And I need it to constantly be there. You see, in this place, what is cool, um, I nerded out to our, um, our huddle this morning, but I just need to paint this picture. What God wanted to do was to bring heaven to us in a very beautiful way before Jesus ever came. And what I mean by that is uh, the book Isaiah and then the book of Revelation. Two very crazy books talk about uh, a vision of seeing the Lord seated on a throne. And right in front of him is this golden altar. Guess what? This was a golden altar they told to build. And it says right in front of him, this is like in Isaiah, and it's in Revelation. Right in front of the throne was this altar, and incense would be going, and it would fill the temple, it would fill the throne room. And it says angels would carry the the incense. And every single time it says this little aside, the incense was the prayers of the saints. And it's just a really cool picture. 
But what, what the Lord wanted to do was to provide for us this very powerful ability to go into the throne room every day. The priests would be able to go into it, create this small version of the Most High. And it's cool. If you want to take two notes, all right, so uh, there's two parts of this altar. Uh, one, the priest uh, would, were to call out to the Lord in intercession and prayer. Sound good? They were to call out to the Lord. This Inside this holy place, the priests could pray to the Lord. That's where they called out. I'm taking the issues of our camp, the issues of our people. They're hungry, God, and I'm bringing it to you in this throne room. So two parts. One, the priests would call out to the Lord in prayer. But part two, the priests would be called out by the Lord. They would come to know their calling and their role more and more. That actually, most of the things that were told to Aaron and his sons were told in the tent of meeting. God spoke to them and would tell them what to do in the place. So they were to call out to the Lord, and then he would call them out. Sometimes he would say, very literally, the people are doing wrong. Separate yourself from them. And uh, if, you, if you know some of the Numbers chapters uh, in the book of Numbers, he sometimes says, I need you to separate yourself from them so that I can swallow them up. Oh, okay. All of that would happen in this tent of meeting. But I, I want to I get to you a little bit. The anointing piece is so beautiful. Uh, this, is, this is some meat, but we're going to go, okay? So those of you who like, who like to understand some cool concepts, here, here you go. This is a little meat in Leviticus chapter 8. The priests were given this anointing, and, and it says this right here. Moses pours some of the anointing oil on the head of Aaron and anointed him, it says, to consecrate him. So every priest had to be anointed in order to walk in. And then it says, Moses then brought his sons and clothed them with coats, and he tied sashes around their waist, and he put a headdress on them as the Lord had commanded. Now, I just want to pause right here. What I think is really cool about this specific anointing is it's almost verbatim of what Isaiah would prophesy Jesus would do for us. Um, in fact, I spoke it to you if you were with us on Father's Day. It, scripture says this, and I don't have it up there. I want, I'm going to read Isaiah 61, and I want you to see how much of a correlation is to these words. It says that Jesus came, he was anointed to grant those who mourn to give them a headdress instead of ashes. Moses tied on Aaron's sons a headdress to give them an oil of gladness instead of mourning. Moses brought Aaron's sons and he anointed them. It says to give them a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And he put on them coats and tied sashes around their waists so that they could be called Scripture says we could be called oaks of righteousness. Now, I think that's really cool. What this enables us to do is Jesus is literally rewriting the story, saying just as Aaron was consecrated holy for this, you are holy for this. I've given you the ability to hear me, to know me, to come into my presence, to be found by me. And it's really beautiful. Uh, this anointing, this incense was crazy. Uh, in chapter 30 as, as well, if you want to skip down in your little studying time this week to chapter, uh, to verse 22, God is very specific about this. Uh, this is cool. The smell in that place was a very specific smell. 
In fact, uh, some of you have been anointed. Do you remember when we anointed our small group leaders? Uh, some of them felt it. It had some strong cassia oil, which was, uh, it's like a cinnamon. Some of you were like, ooh, this is burning me. Yes. The anointing oil, as well as the incense in the temple, had a very specific smell to it. In fact, so much so that God said, I want this smell to fill the holy places. And then he, he writes this. You ready? Uh, it's verse 32. It's not up here, but this is pretty cool. Uh, this anointing oil that we put on you small group leaders. It says, it shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall make nothing else like this, for it is holy. And then it says, whoever makes a compound like this and uses it for common purposes will be cut off. And then he describes the beautiful smell of the incense in that room. And he says this, very similar. And the incense you shall make, you shall make it according to this. And it shall not be made for yourself, but it will be holy for the Lord. And whoever makes anything like it to use as a perfume will be cut off from the people. Now, this is really cool. And you're like, why are we saying all of this, Greg? Because what God has done for you is what he has done in you is for his purpose. It's quite literally what God is saying is this. Do not use my presence. Do not use my favor. Do not use my anointing. Do not use that sash of gladness around your waist. Do not use this, this, this headdress of righteousness for your own purpose. Use it for my advantage, my glory. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. Um, the moment you start using your charisma, your kindness, God-given kindness for your own benefit, I think we've all experienced that. That's when we start seeing church leaders shift into heavy-handed because they're using their gifts of the Lord, the anointing, the smell of it for themselves. No, God said, as you, sons of Aaron, go into this tent, you're going to start smelling really good. And every time you smell really good and you come back out, I want everyone to know it's because you were in my presence, not because you just smell good. Does it make sense? Like some of you, you have not given the accreditation to the Lord, and it's in line with the fact that you, you may have made common what is extraordinary. Do you want to know that's not common? My ability as a 18-year-old to go through a death of my mom it's not common for me to go through that ache and yet him speak to me. The God of the universe spoke to me. Do you want to know something not common? Me being able to get back up, crying, but get back up. Do you want to know what else is not common? The ability for people to then ask me, why is this happening? And then from somewhere, I don't know where, I start sharing the gospel and then my cheer team is changed. Like I was, I was, the, I was the mascot my senior year. Yep. Yep. And you're like, what? I, you want to talk about some like uh, very worldly girls getting shared the hope of Jesus. It was not common. You see, we've labeled common things that are extraordinary. What is not common is your ability every day to set the tone of your home in worship. 
What is not common is when you get in a car wreck for you to not yell at the person who hit you, but you can, with peace, grant something different. But see, we've made common the extraordinary, and not only that, we then use it without giving recognition to him, right? Like we do. He literally said, okay, I'm about to bestow on you people some gifts. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Like I'm about to bestow on you people some gifts. Your sons are going to start playing and daughters are going to start strumming and they're going to start singing praises. And I need people to know that what they smell is me. It cannot be for your own home, of your own use, of your own name. It must go back to him. And this is really insane. Uh, It says, or else they will be cut off. And this is a fun little aside. Um, You always know, I will always know when I'm using my anointing for myself because I will start feeling like I'm doing it alone. You will always know when you're walking in your, and you're like, well, no, it's just me and Jesus. That's a lie from the enemy. No, it's not. You and Jesus is a lone wolf model, and that does not promote the kingdom at all. It promotes you. No, it promotes, it promotes I'm, I'm talking about Jesus. No, if you're talking about Jesus but not connecting them to his kingdom, then they're just connected to you. And they just need you to keep showing them. They need you, but the kingdom. And so I've really like, God has challenged me, Greg, like the moment you start doing something all by yourself is the moment you're using my anointing for yourself. It's a lone wolf. Some of you have been a lone wolf. Now, it's okay. It's okay. Scripture talks over and over about the lone wolves coming back, about the anointing ones coming back. And we're going to open up in that in a second. Uh, You can already like hold your hand at Isaiah 6. I'm really excited. Isaiah 6 has an image of a lone wolf coming back. All right. Uh, and, And I really believe that some of you need to get this like very clearly in your head. That God has given you a gifting. He's giving you a hope. And the reason you don't feel confident in it is because you've got you've to train your heart to keep bringing it back to him. Like some of you, you, you don't even have an understanding of all that you have access to. It's because you keep using it on out the outside. And God's like, no, constantly bring it in, bring it in. Is this making sense? We'll keep going. So I told you the, the presence, there was two reasons. Number one, it was to call out to the Lord in intercession. So I told you we make common the things that are extraordinary. Uh, can you put that? Oh, number one, though, is priests, we have the ability to call out to the Lord in intercession. So that's the number one point of uh, the altar of incense. But it's really beautiful. Like our prayers, David says, rises. It rises like incense before him. That we actually have the ability to go into the presence of the Lord day in and day out. Out and say, God, I need you. God, my family's a hot mess. God, like I just got angry and I snapped. And we have the ability to, in intercession, talk to the Lord. Now, I, we like, we dumb that down a lot, 
We really do. We dumb that down a lot, but it's beautiful. Um, I told you already a little bit about John, uh, his time in Revelation, but I'm going to read this. So in Revelation, this is a little side, this is fun. Chapter 8, verse 3. And then in Revelation 5, chapter 8, both, or verse 8, both of these times talk about the incense room. And Revelation 8 says this, another angel had this golden censer and he came and he stood at the altar and he was given a great quantity of incense to offer. And it says to offer with all the prayers of the saints. And then it says the smoke of the incense filled the room with the prayers of the saints and it rose before God from the hand of the angel. And I just like over and over scripture says whenever they go into the throne room, the, the, the person who's seeing it says, I see an angel take this incense. And as it's rising, he always gives a little aside. I was told by an angel, there's John because he doesn't know. I was told by an angel that as it rose, it rose with the prayers of the saints. And a little cool part of this, that literally means that the whole temperature the whole area, the whole room of the throne room of God is changed by the prayers of the saints. Like, that's really cool. Actually, uh, what I told the, the huddle is what John is getting at, what the, he needed us to realize is that the whole angel army actually changes what they're doing by your prayers. It fills the room, the temple. Some of you think prayer doesn't matter, and it's because the enemy doesn't want to change the throne room and fill it with incense. Does this make you sense? Like, some of you have chosen to believe that my prayers don't matter just because you feel like God is silent, but our prayers actually determine what is going on in heaven. It's really beautiful. It sets the tone for the praise, where the angels are saying, holy, 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 we are offering up prayers to the most high. And I know you're like, that doesn't make sense. But listen, we have labeled unattainable the things that we have access to. Now my prayers can change the atmosphere of a room. I've told you this before, but one of the hardest things about being a pastor is having a family. <sighs> extended family, right, Kate? Extended family. Uh, because whenever you go back home to that said extended family, they automatically think that you are just holier than they are. And so let's say we're gonna have a meal a dinner, a lunch. It's all getting quiet and everyone sat down and then guess who they look to? Hey, Greg, would you like to pray for us? I'm like, you're a holy priesthood, a royal nation. Why don't you take it? Why don't you take it, Dad? Or uh, why don't you take it? And, and over and over and over, like the moment I enter a room and anyone's gonna pray, they look to me. One time I was like, well, Kate's co-pastoring me. She could pray. Uh, it's not just me. I'm not the only pastor. No, uh, they always do it. And I would get so annoyed by it over and over um, because just the guilt and the awkward dynamics of families, you know, like the weird, it's just weird sometimes. And I got convicted one time I felt the Lord say, Greg, they're literally handing you the authority of the room. Take it. Like literally, they're giving me the opportunity to change the dynamic of the day. Like if we saw what we have access to, like I could stop any moment and just say, I'm gonna pray, but I don't. 
And they're literally stopping the moment before dinner and asking me to pray. Whew, okay, you don't want what I'm going to pray for. No, I'll, I'll pray then. I'll, I will usher us into the presence of God. Like his peace is here. His hope is here. I call out like the little sassiness. Like I know, like we will have, we will honor the Lord most high here. And thank you for this meal, amen. Right? Like we, we can take spiritual authority of any room, but we don't. Like the power of prayer is beautiful. I wrote some things down that like literally it is my ability to bring heaven. It is God-given ability that I have to bring heaven to earth that I can't control people. I wish I could. I can't control people, but guess what we can control? We can control the temperature that they're in. We can control the atmosphere. And you're like, how? Because by our mouth, the spiritual world shifts because of our authority. And some of you don't believe that. All right, God, right now, I just cast out all cynicism. Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I cast out all cynicism because the ones who are cynics in the room right now, the enemy is so afraid of the authority that they have to command darkness to leave. And so if they sit in cynicism, they will remain in dark places. But God, you have given them the ability to see the darkness and to call it out. So Father, in this place, like, can we just see the power of your name? That when we speak, the room is filled with all of your glory. Because we give recognition to you and you alone. God, I call out the feeling of the outcast in the room. There is one that feels that they are not clothed with your splendor, but they are hidden with Christ on the heavenly places, so they are clothed with your splendor. We praise you, Jesus. You see, there is a shift that happens as we welcome the Lord in a home, in a place, in an argument. You do not realize your power. When I, was in a, when I was a youth pastor, I coined this phrase right here. Uh, and it was something that I just tried to speak uh, over and over and over my students. Uh, it's just this aha moment as we talk about like the Paul when he says like your, your conversations should always be seasoned with salt. I'm like, am I a little seasoned? Am I a little salty today? Like I got to allow it to have this. I coined this phrase that we have the God-given ability to bring holy conversations into a world full of broken ones. There's only two options in life. I speak what the world speaks or I speak something new. And the world cannot speak something new. There's nothing new under the sun. And so if we're going to speak something new, we got to listen to the one who's over the sun, right? We got to listen to the one who's over the sun. And he can speak and things can become new. And so, like, this is the power of the ones in the holy place. You have the ability to speak holy conversations. Like when mom is hitting on that same note again with your sibling, you have the ability to not add into the world full of broken conversations. But you can speak holiness. And I just got to, that's not always Jesus juking someone. Because that's sometimes just as broken as the world. All right? You just thinking you're going to bring a truth into the area? No. Like, you just think it, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it. No. And that's, things of the kingdom are not just truth. Things of the kingdom are fruit. So you bring truth, but it must bear peace. You bring truth, but it must bear grace. It must bear hope. And so quite 
literally into any conversation my children are having, I could try to nip it in the bud. Or how can we bring holiness here? How can I bring peace in here? Some of you, you have made common the things that are extraordinary. Like you get access to the most high. So in a room where people are mourning, Jesus says we mourn. In a room where people are rejoicing, we rejoice. But what we get to bring is not broken weeping, but we get to bring righteous weeping, right? Like where we sow our tears in faith. When people are joyous, we don't bring a worldly dance. We bring holiness that praises him, right? So like this is very practical if we make it or it can stay very distant, But we have the God-given ability to do this over and over and over. And honestly, like, this is the power of it. I've learned it um, where Paul says, I want you at all times, at all times, to be ready to give an answer when someone says, why do you have hope? Greg, like, your mom just died a month ago. Why do you have hope? Oh, okay. Uh, I don't feel like I do. Um, Right? Like, we never feel like we have it. But we've made common the things that are extraordinary. Because you do. We do. The very fact that we can still say Jesus' name in the pain is something uncommon. Like, and so we get to bring these changes. Paul says, some always give a reason for the hope that you have. If I can reframe it this, the holy place was a place for hope. It was the rekindling of the hope. So like, now I'm going to get a little historical again. On this altar, I want you, some of you who are like our struggle to, to picture it, you can close your mind. It was this nice little, close your mind, close your eyes. Uh, it was this nice little rectangle, some pointed as a square, and it was golden. And on each of the four corners of it were these horns, these golden horns. In the Old Testament, horns were always like image of power. And that's why the devil is always trying to, like, be seen as having horns. Okay, like, let's just scrape that and give it back to the king who has the power. Um, Because what this incense is, is this beautiful ability for my prayers to be within his power. Ooh, you see that? Isn't that cool? It's inside. Like, literally, when I add something to the altar, the, the, the priests would add prayers attached to the, the, the pieces, the incense, the coals. And it was now found within his power. The four corners of this altar, his power. And so now it changes the way that we think through it. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to teach it. I'm going to talk it. I'm going to pray it in his power. I'm going to pray it in his power, but it continues. This place was where they would have hope. Um, they would take the blood from the, alt- the, the little dead animal out there. <laughs> They'd take the blood and they would wipe it on all the horns. And so quite literally, God can hear me because of that. The bloodshed, I'm just going to bring what happened on the cross into this conversation. I'm going to bring what happened on the cross into this prayer. Some of you just pray blindly. I started noticing this in the evening. I pray blindly sometimes at the end of the day as I pray with Kate. Why don't I bring what happened on the cross into my prayers? Because that is where hope is, right? That is. And so they would regain hope. 
and what's happening, that Israel's okay, that even though it's a mess out there, that God is here. Some of you really need to have this kind of hope every day, that even though it's a mess out there, it is okay here because the Lord is with me. Some of you literally need to write that down. It is a mess. Some of you moms know it's like, I'm going to sit on the toilet for way longer than I should, right? Like, and, but I can't because they're going to be knocking on the door. So you need to just know, this is my holy place. Though it is a mess out there, though, right? Like, it's a mess out there. I'm finding hope in here. <laughs> a hope that will carry me out of this. A hope that will remind me of his bloodshed. A hope that will, like, Jesus, I know you see me. You have labeled unattainable what you have access to every day. And it's because the enemy does not want that hope. Because what happens with hope is something beautiful. In fact, uh, Moses told Aaron and his sons to do this. When you leave the tent of meeting, actually every time. So Zechariah, who was um, John the Baptist's dad. Do you remember this fun story? John the Baptist was the guy who made the way for Jesus. Zechariah was his dad. He was a Levite. And he was chosen one day to be the one to light the incense. And so... He was one of them. Even to the day that Jesus came, the priests would do this. They would leave the tent, and guess what they would speak over the people? This right here, numbers. It'll come up here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, hey, Aaron, speak this to the peoples. Bless them in this way. They shall say, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Do you want to know why this is so powerful? Because it's not just something that the priests believed in there, in the hope place, in the place of hope, but it was something now that was, has transcended through them and they would start blessing everyone in the mess with this blessing. You, the royal priesthood, have access to the holy place, and have access to this blessing. Some of you really need to start, I'm going to go out into this mess. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine on you. May you realize, may he, his grace be ever present for you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, some of you... The enemy doesn't want you to have hope because this is what you bring the broken world. This blessing. Some of you are like, you're just not, miss you're not getting it today. It's okay. But if I can just challenge you to zone in, the reason you're not getting it is because the enemy wants the people around you to steer clear of the holiness that you can bring in. And so the reason you keep checking out is because you actually have an authority to change the temperature of your workplace. And the reason you check, keep checking out is because your heart doesn't believe it. Some of you take a picture of this. What would it look like tomorrow? You go to work and you speak this. All right, so there, like your, your door to your workplace is right here. What if you speak, may the Lord bless everyone in this building as they come in. May he keep them. May his face shine upon them. Some of you are like, well, they're far from the Lord. 
are you bringing him into? Like, can you, like, let's, let, let's pray that his face shines upon them. They have to own that afterwards. But are you bringing it? It's just a powerful if we realize what we have access to. We bring blessings into places of brokenness. But he wants you to doubt that. And so a second thing, you remember, it was uh, we get to call out to the Lord. But I'm going to end with this. We get called out by the Lord in his holy place. Some of you are like, Greg, how, do you, how did you know that you were called to be a pastor? I've gotten that question like three times this week. How did you know that you were called? I didn't until I started getting thrown in to the holy places. I was a small group leader. I, I led in a band. I was the drummer. Do, 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 do. Like one beat Greg, they called me. I, I was thrown in to holy places. And as I was thrown into holy places, I started knowing more and more my calling. Some of you, you think you have to be called in order to work in holy places. The answer is you do and you have. You've been called out of darkness and into light. Now you're like, okay, but what is my gifting? All right, walk in holy places and you will know your gifting more and more. In fact, what they did in that, uh, like if I could just say this is the tent of meeting. Uh, so we, had, we have the altar of incense, but over here was the bread. And guess what they had to do? All of the priests who were serving that day, they had to together break the shoe bread. They had to break bread and eat. And as they ate, they had to talk through the clans, the things going on. Like they're bringing in awareness. Some of you like, you don't know what your anointing is because you don't break bread with other priests. You don't actually talk about the needs of the kingdom with other Christians. It's when we actually break bread together that the Lord starts instilling in us, oh, like I, I'm, I, I have a word of wisdom for you. Like, oh, and then someone else says, give it to me. And then you give it and they're like, that was the Lord. And now you know more and more, like I'm called out by God and he gave me this word. And see, the more we use it, the more we utilize it, the more we know it. You know, one of those things like um, when you were first a dad, anyone, and you brought in that baby? I had two, so it was more like this. And we got home, and I didn't know what to do, and no one feels qualified for this. And so I just remember laying on the ground, literally in my living room with two babies beside me. Kate's mom's making quesadillas. And I'm like, oh, what do we do? Like, what now? I was granted 21 with two babies, okay? Put that in, what do we do? No one feels, no one feels anointed or able to do the role at the beginning. It's as you keep working it out that that role gets clarified, gets honed in on, it gets worked out, right? It gets, it gets very apparent. I am a dad. There's a reason God doesn't hand you seven-year-olds. Because if he just handed you a, a nine-year-old twins, like, I'd pull my hair out. Because I would not love them as much as I love them now, right? Like, some of you think, yeah, you just, we all know that. 
you and not love them as much as you love them now. Because the Lord has built you into your calling. Some of you, the places of holiness, holy places, Glory Church is a holy place. It's called out by God, I believe it. Your small group is a holy place. Uh, the serving is a holy place. Your home with your marriage can be a holy place if you, if you call it that, if you, if you claim the Lord in that. And as you operate in your role in holy places more, you will learn your giftings. But you see, many of us sit in that powerlessness. That powerlessness, it attacks us. I can't do it. I can't do it. Other people can. And this is when we're going to bring Isaiah 6. And we're ending in this way. Isaiah 6. Um, just out of a like curiosity, how many of you know like off the top of your head, when I say Isaiah 6, you know what it's about? Anyone? Yeah, a few. A few. Isaiah starts off and he says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. We're going to pause right here. In the year that King Uzziah died, want to know something cool? There's only one king in all of creation, all of history, that thought he was high enough to overlook the power of God and to say, I'm going to take, I'm going to be a priest. And so King Uzziah, scripture says, he was so arrogant. He thought himself so high, so mighty, that he actually went into holy places, the holy place, and lit some incense. And scripture says that 80 of the priests stormed in with him and tried to say, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. And King Uzziah was like, I can do this. Like, I'm the king. I'm able to do this. And the, the priest were like, that's not the order. That's not the order. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's angry. And scripture says that the moment he became angry, leprosy broke out on his face. Leprosy broke out on his face, and then he dies just months later. What was going on in Israel at the time is this hierarchy issue of who is God and who are we. They're all high and mighty and able and they're forgetting holy places and they're forgetting the power of God, all these things. They are lone wolves. They are using their authority in wrong ways. And then the prophet Isaiah comes and it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah was thrown into the throne room. And it says, I saw him high and mighty. If you know the story, it says above him were seraphim and they were flying and they had two wings with eyes and then two were covering their face and then two covering their feet and two they flew. And it says, each of them said to one another, holy, holy, holy. It's this beautiful image. And it says in verse four, the foundations of the temple shook at the voice of the Lord and the house was filled with smoke. And then I have a slide for this, verse 5. It says, and I, Isaiah, says, woe is me. I am lost. Want to know something cool? That lost word has the same root word as the, if the priests use their anointing in a false way, they will be cut off. This word lost is the same root word. He's claiming, I feel cut off. I feel low. Like I am do I am nothing. I am lost. 
I am a man of unclean lips, Isaiah says, and I dwell in the midst of people. I mean, God, you know you, Uzziah, you know him. I live among the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And it continues. It says, Then one of the angels flew to Isaiah, having in his hand a burning coal that was taken from the tongs of the altar, that same altar of incense. He takes this burning coal that, again, was in the altar. And it says, if you want to put it up, uh, he touched my mouth, verse 7. And it says, behold, the angel says, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. And then Isaiah says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, the Lord, Adonai, and he said, whom shall I send? Who will go with me? Who will go for us? And it says, then, then I said, here, am I, here I am. Lord, send me. And so then he said, go and tell the people. And then he tells them what Isaiah's calling happened in the throne room. But it was through cleansing, through everything. It was because he came back. It was because he said, I need you. He's not a lone wolf anymore. I need hope. I need your calling. I need your presence. I am nothing. And the seraphim came and cleansed him. Say all of this. Um, Paul says two times these fun things. Uh, One, it's one of my favorite little versions of, of scripture where he says, like, let us hold fast to what we've already attained. He says, I want you to hold, I want you to cling to what you already have. And then in Ephesians, he says, now I need you to live a life worthy of the calling you've already received. And so I need you to hold fast to what you've already been given. And I need you to live life worthy of what you've already been given. It's this coming back to what you already have. Now, I'm going to make it very practical for you, all right? There are many reasons why some of you think that you cannot do holy things. There are things out of order of your life. You say, I look at my life, there are babies out of order from what the, the Lord says. And so you think that that has disqualified you. There are actions out of order in my life, and you think that that disqualifies you. But what happens in the holy place is that he has cleansed you, made you clear, made you clean, and now he has an anointing for you. But I told you, you won, you call unattainable the things you already have access to. And two, you keep calling common the things that are extraordinary One, a family, a Christian, the kingdom of God is extraordinary. It's not just I go to church and I leave. That is a common thing, common lie. But this place is holy. You have a kingdom here that's holy. And so as we end in that, the hold fast to what you've already been given, that word hold fast is like cling, go back to. Some of you need to constantly say, this, this 
closet today, this room today, my car ride is a holy place. And I'm going to go back to the Lord. I'm going to see, I'm going to bring his kingdom here. I'm going to feel, experience your presence. I'm going to praise you, God. And I'm going to live differently. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to bless. So with that said, I just invite all of you to bow your heads. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.